JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline right now. He's the friend of the show. He's the front office expert for ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com, NBA-wise. Bobby Marks joins us. I'm assuming you're a big-time NBA Jam fan from the past, too, right? (laughs) No, I wasn't a big video game guy growing up, but I do like NBA Jam. (laughs) If there is uh, an NBA game ever been created, that's at the top of everybody's list, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny, when I, when, I, when I first started with the Nets, I walked into the cafeteria, and there it was, sitting right there in the corner, the old video game, big, big, uh, like, you know, the arcade, big arcade game. Yeah, that's, that's what I got standing in front of me right now, right here at Twin Peaks, ready to rock, ready to roll, ready to get some guy. And they, they created, the, uh, the folks at Michelob Ultra uh, created a, an incredible pair of shoes for the winter and i actually have not the winter shoes on but uh a pair that they gave me and i don't know if you're a shoe guy either but it is absolutely outstanding telling you incredible and all this is getting ready for the all-star game here which uh certainly should be spectacular coming up in february and all-star weekend so hey bobby big deal yesterday about 24 hours ago uh the trade went down between the raptors and the pacers what did you think about it overall from a Pacer standpoint, getting Pascal Siakam? Yeah, I mean, it just made sense. You know, it's funny. I, I was joking with my editors because we have our big trade guides coming out, and I said, you know, people will never know what I wrote about Indiana and Toronto <laughs> because that's really what it was about. <laughs> it was about kind of going out and, and trying to get that. Um, you know, I said they had, you know, they basically checked the boxes of all the different resources they had. Um, to go out and wait until free agency and, and Siakam became a free agent, he would have been probably traded by then. Um, you know, it would have been challenging just because you'd have to go through some loopholes just to create some money, you know, open up some room and everything like that. And I think, you know, you, you didn't have to touch any of your, um, you know, your, your core young players. Um, you know, certainly Bruce had played well for you, but, you know, his salary was needed. And then Jordan, and you get Kerr Lewis from the, Pelicans and kind of reroute him and you know two of those picks are this year um you know certainly that thunder pick will be in the late 20s probably 27 20 you know indiana's teens early 20s possibly here um and then it's that pick out in 26 that's got some light protection on it here but it, it just it just made sense um it made sense the timing you know the timing was right i think as far as where this this roster is um i think the big thing now is you, you know you've got two bookends with Halberton and Siakam, and now it's like you, you've got to have one of, you know, outside, you know, certainly not including Miles, you're going to have to have one of your, your young kids hit, right? Like, you know, you've seen some good things with Matherin and what, you know, how Walker develops here. I think it'll be interesting what's, what holds the future of Toppin moving forward, who's going to be a free agent, you know, Buddy's a free agent too. Um, but all in all, I thought it was, I thought it was a, a, a smart move by the Pacers to go out and, you know, not wait until the you know, free agency, not wait until it got closer to the deadline. But, you know, three weeks out, if, uh, if that's something you want to do, go out and do it. He is Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider. You can find him at Bobby Marks 42 in the social media platform land known as X. He's with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I I honestly described this, Bobby. I I thought this was um, something that, I mean, given what the Pacers are giving up, something you have to do. Like, I I set up originally some boundaries. I, I didn't want to see them dump Matherin. I didn't mm-hmm. want to see them have to include Nimhart, for example. Yeah. And it always kind of seemed mm-hmm. like they were going to have to do that. Was this an absolute got-to-do type of deal from a Pacer standpoint, as I have described it 
as me thinking it was in the past 24 hours? Yeah, I just think because of where the cost was. I mean, I think there's certainly a walk-away number or a walk-away package, right? I mean, if you're if you're asking for Matherin or Walker, uh, and you mentioned Nemhard, you know, some of your younger players here, um, you know, there's there's a point where if, you know you, you can walk away from the table here, and when none of those guys are involved, and I, I think what you know we're, we're seeing here is that. I mean, you can have two guys on your roster making, you know, $35, $40 million, which Indiana is going to have next year. And then you've got a lot of these, you know, as, you, as I said, Naismith, um, you know, the, the younger players here that you're going to need, those 8 to $12 million players um, to basically kind of balance out the, at the roster. And if it wasn't, it wasn't now, I don't know when it was going to be because um, you would have went through a playoff series. Who knows? You, you lose in the first round, you know, who's available in free agency. Because as, as you know, guys don't leave, you know, once they're there, it's hard for guys to sign guys from other teams when they become free agents. So Bobby Marks with us. How do you think he fits and where is his game? As he's ready to transition from late 20s to the age of 30, where is his game both offensively and defensively in Pascal Siakam that you notice the Pacer fans will see? Yeah, I mean, I think what you what you've seen is a, l- a little bit of a decline as far as from you know in, in, in the nineteen twenty season he took six point one um, three three point attempts that's down to three point seven so it's not like you're, you're getting this you know a, a stretch four that can go out and you know you know hit you know five of eight from deep here you know high percentage on twos I think it's the third highest in his in his career but he's a he's a big long you know six six nine six ten can can, can defend the multiple positions here um can get up and down the floor um you know he's going to be i think he's going to be 30 um and he's got some durability you know he's he's you know he played 68 games in in, uh 21 22 71 last year he's played 39 this year here um first two uh, two out of the first three years he only missed um three games here um so there is you know you do have a durable player um you know as far as he he fits he fits kind of what you need to Bobby Marks, who's with us, a lot of folks have pointed the finger at a defensive decline as well. Is that something you noticed out of him? I think sometimes it's a matter of, listen, you have you went from Nick Nurse to uh, to Darko, their new head coach there. Um, there's a change in system there. You have different players. Um, you went with, from Kyle to Fred. Um, Ananobi gets traded. Now you're there kind of, you know, a little bit of an on, on an island by yourself. I think it's a matter of what the schemes are going to be. Um, you know, certainly in, uh, in, in India, you're not, you're not asking him to come in and be all NBA defense, right? You're asking him to kind of, you know, a play, a, play a significant role where, you know, you had a little bit of a deficiency. What do you think this does for this Pacers team overall? I mean, what, what, what's your thought and belief that this addition can do with already having the return of, of Halliburton from injury here relatively soon, Miles, and the rest of this roster as it's viewed right now? Yeah, I mean, are you where Boston is? Are you where Milwaukee is? I mean, I know they played Milwaukee extremely well and stuff like that. I think it's a matter of, like, now it's more about consistency. It's like you're not going to sneak up on teams anymore, right? Like that day, and, you know, you, yeah. especially when you when you get two guys like Halbert and, and Siakam here, um, like that's not going to happen. So it's now about, you know, going from, wow, this was a fun team. You know, they were a team that was, you know, fighting for a playing spot, and then they're fighting for the uh, top six team. And now – you know, the hard part always comes what's next. So what's next is that you, you want to see this team in a first round in a series, you know, best of you know seven series, who knows where they go from there. And then you kind of figure out what you need from, from after that. I think in the next three weeks will be an interesting thing as far as what happens with Buddy, who's on an expiring. And, like, if there's a, a trade that comes out that you can get draft a draft pick for, does it make sense to go out and do it? Or is Buddy too valuable to kind of where – where your roster is right now and everything. But yeah, I mean, I think it's still, it's still a process as far as from a, um, you know, you know, from a developmental standpoint, as far as, because you do have, whether it be Andrew or Ben or Isaiah, you know, Aaron, you know, Jarris, I mean, there, it's a, a, a Mather and also there's, it's still a, on the back end, it's still, you have a nice young a group of players. Bobby Marks of ESPN with us talking about the Siakam deal from the Raptors to the Pacers. He joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You brought up Buddy Heald um, and 
the maintaining of flexibility for another deal is something we've also talked about here. Whether you're talking about Buddy Heald, you know, Jalen Smith is a name that, that pops up in all this too. Obi Toppin as well. And, and now you do have a, a log jam with Siakam in there behind yeah. him. I, I would suggest that it's probably a pretty good feel that they make another deal before the trade deadline. Would you agree? And, and you mentioned the draft selection path. Would they go to that or would they go to try to bring in another player? What do you think that path might be? I think you want to go, I mean, if you can, if you can maybe pick up a first down the road, um, but I do think you want a guy on a controllable contract. I mean, you just kind of look at where, where the finances are. They've got $105 million $105 million in contracts next year. You got to add a Siakam number there. That does that get you to 150 luxury tax at 172, and you've got Toppin and Heal as free agents. I mean, that's the, kind of the math as far as where you're looking at it from from Indiana. So are you? It's basically you know Obi's got a, he's on a rookie, last year this rookie contract. Can you go out and find another guy on a rookie contract but has maybe two more years left? And it kind of just you know strings along there. Yeah, the other thing that I had mentioned to people I felt was important is they clearly, and Tyrese Halliburton was talking about that today, uh, kept him in the loop. Uh, he offered up his thoughts on bringing in Siakam, and and that's important too, is it not? To have the best player on your team in that loop, you know, they talked about the conversations leading up to Halliburton's extension to, you know, making sure that he has some input on stuff like this and making sure that your centerpiece is happy in this case, the Pacers also get that done. Well, I mean, anytime you invest, you know, $206 million in, in, in your point guard here and he's the face of your franchise and you can go out and get another all-star. And, it, and I think it's, yeah, you can say, oh, we can go get this all-star. But I think it's like, hey, we can go out and get Pascal Siakam. How does he fit with you? You know, can you, know, can you play with him? How does his style fit? I think that's where it has to, you know, that's where you, you bring that player into, in, in, into the mix here because it does, it does change a little bit of the dynamics of, of um, you know, from an expectation level here. And, I, you know, I definitely agree that, you know, he should be part of that conversation. Yeah, it, um, I just thought yesterday was a good day all the way around. I really did. And like I mentioned, there were some, again, boundaries that I would have struggled with. But given what they, they gave up and what they're getting in return – I just I thought that that was an absolute can't miss no brainer. Uh, even if you don't have an absolute guarantee on the back end of this, and even though you may end up paying a lot at the back end of this, those are really only the two things that I thought you could even consider even remotely as being a negative, Bobby, about this. No, I mean, listen, any trade, big, small, minor, um, there's risk involved in everything here. I mean, here. I think it's more of kind of, you know, what the financial risk is on, on maybe years three and four when Siakam's 32 and 33 years old, and that's something to worry about two or three years from now here. Um, you know, the, you know it's interesting that the one pick that goes to Toronto is a pick that you got the night of, you know, right around the draft. And, you know, that that's like I always say to people, like, there's always like parts two, three, and four to when teams do deals because there's always going to be another, another trade out there as far as what you can, you know, move in the future. So Bobby Marks with us. Hey, before I let you go, anything else you're thinking about that may may pop on the horizon prior to the trade you know, deadline throughout the NBA landscape? You know, I mean, I think it's a matter of, you know, this new CBA that's coming in. Well, CBA is already in, but some of the harder rules are going to be starting in um, right in the offseason here. Kind of how do teams, some of these teams that won't be able to send cash and deal or aggregate contracts and do some things that they can do now. The Phoenixes, the Milwaukee's, the Boston's, those high, the Clippers, those high-spending teams. I think we'll, we'll probably continue to talk about Zach Levine for the next three weeks. We'll see what happens, what goes on in um, in uh, Atlanta. Lakers have played a little bit better, um, you know, certainly of, of late here. So the big names, I think, are certainly off the board. But you know, there's there's always one or two guys that we're not thinking about that you know eventually becomes available. Hey, Bobby, in closing, do you think there were any teams out there that may have got a little bit discouraged because the Pacers and the Raptors worked this thing out? Were there other teams directly involved that may may feel a bit of disappointment today? I, you know what? I think there was, there was risk. I think there was risk with Siakam, and I think with the Pacers, they did their homework, and there was a comfort level that, you know, there was going to be a long-term partnership moving forward here. I think if there was some assurance from him, whether it be in uh, Sacramento or Golden State or some of these other teams, 
I think those teams would have been maybe a little bit more aggressive as far as, um, you know, signing, you know, committing long-term here. Um, but I think you would rather find out, you know, you know, um, you know, what happened with Indiana compared to you, you trade for him and then he leaves for nothing and you've already traded two or three first round picks. It's uh, Bobby Marks. You can find his work at Bobby Marks 42 on X ESPN NBA front office insider. Uh, Marist College standout, by the way, and not the biggest video game aficionado while he was I growing up, what, although love. I keep on seeing yeah. all these Marist College alums. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to – I don't know if I'm going to be in the top ten anymore. These, these, uh, you know, I know Smith is already at number one. And he's, not, he's not going anywhere there, but goodness gracious, <laughs> we've got Marist alums popping up all over the place. Well, it's not even about Rick Smith and what he did here in Indianapolis. It was about being coming to America. He, the moment he was on that – so the only he was on that, then that everything changed for Marist College, did it not? <laughs> it sure did. Hey, I appreciate you always jumping on here and explaining things so we can completely understand that. Bobby, I'm sure we'll do it again down the road. Thank you. Sounds good, you got it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Pylon, Pacers Radio and TV, former NBA guard Eddie Gill joins us. Were you big NBA Jam fan? Absolutely. I love that game. What was your, what was your team? What team did you use most often? Well, it was it was uh, late '90s, so anything Bulls was was the thing to do. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I was looking at the the Pacers in this version, I believe, is Reggie Miller and Detlef Shrimp, right here. Yeah, that so was uh, you would have been might have been on that also. Yeah, you would have been. I don't know. Hey, check the Bulls team out because this has Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant. Yeah, that's right. as the Bulls to twosome right here. So. That's- Man, it is one of the Eddie, one of the all-time favorite video games, and we're giving away a, a great pair of original Michelob Ultra Nikes. And I, you, you know, obviously, you follow this team around, been to all these NBA games this year, and how prevalent Michelob Ultra has been in sponsorship uh, with the NBA, and certainly leading up to the All-Star Game. And this is just part of the festivities leading up to that today at Twin Peaks. I'll get back to that with you in a second, but just talk to Bobby Marks, and he gave us the uh, uh, analyst work as a former general manager about the deal that went down between the Raptors and the Pacers yesterday. You as a former player, um, I I go for the eyeball test just because I don't want to mess with the analytics of it. You as a former player probably do both. What did you think about it when you first heard, and how well do you think Siakam will fit in with this group moving forward? Um, Initially when I heard it, you know, First and foremost, uh, I kind of think about the, the, the humanity of it. Uh, some, a lot of times I get lost in it all. So, um, yeah. you know, the, the fact that Bruce Brown's on a road trip, he's going to pack and move. But then I understand uh, the business of the aspect of it also. And then just kind of transitioning to, from a basketball perspective, I think it's a great it's a great move for the Pacers uh, in terms of, you know, what you're trying to do right now. And that's win at a, at a high level. Uh, not only get to the playoffs, but now this is an expectation when you get there. <clears throat> it might transition to win in the playoffs because you have a, another all-star caliber player uh, to play alongside, alongside Tyree Taliburton. Miles Turner's playing great basketball. Um, and then Siakam just fills a void in which the Pacers haven't seen uh, in quite some time in terms of all the versatility, his size, athleticism. Uh, he's got the, he's that long athletic wing that can defend on the other end as well. I think that's definitely a, a huge gap that, they, that he can fill. And uh, overall, it's a positive mood. So Eddie Gill, who was with us, um, how does it fit offensively, too? Because the Pacers had a great deal of offense. How much can this offense improve? And is it also about, you know, taking the pressure and just having another option? I, I mentioned this, Eddie, in comparison to the Colts. We all talk about how Anthony Richardson moving forward, you need to be surrounded by weapons, more weapons. And even though you look at just how well the Pacers played offensively, and you do need to still get better as they are defensively. But I never thought that adding weapons to a team like this into just an elite level player all the way around like Tyrese Halliburton would be a bad idea. How do you th- think he fits in offensively with this group the way that it looks? 
Uh, I think he fits incredibly well. Uh, he, he does a great job in transition. He has the same attack mindset in which the Pacers have played with uh, throughout the season in terms of early offense, random offense. But also, uh, I think about, again, I go back to playoff-style basketball. Inevi- inevitably, the game's going to slow down. Um, you need guys who can force a double team. So you can put Pascal Siakam in the post. He's he's going to force a double team. Otherwise, he's going to get 40 that night. Uh, and when he does force a double team, get the opportunity to knock down open three-point shots um, in, in a playoff environment or, or, again, when the game slows down at the end of the game and, it, and it's tight. Because um, you need guys, multiple guys on the floor who can, can draw a double team and put the opponent in a scramble situation and, and freeing up shots for everybody on the floor. And, and I think that's exactly what he does. Obviously, Halliburton has done that uh, since he's been here. Uh, so now you got two guys on the floor who can get that done. Yeah, and obviously you're not going to see him tonight where you are in in Sacramento. I don't know when you're going to see him back on the floor. I also would, I guess, pleasantly surprised. It looks like that according to how we felt when he got injured last week, it kind of looks like Tyrese Halliburton is ahead of of a lot of schedules, I would guess, out there. Is he not? Yeah, I I think so. Ahead of um, initial estimations, he's he's looked good in, in terms of practice. And uh, just starting to get reacclimated to the team and and and, uh, and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it looks like ahead of schedule, and um, I'm not sure when if they've even um, targeted a specific game or date or anything like that. But um, w- whenever it may be, I think it'll be ahead of what initially you thought. Especially, you know, we all had that imagery of, of him being carried off the floor, so it didn't look good then. But um, incredibly optimistic at this point. Hey, how long does it take a new guy, especially one of the magnitude, you know, a, a centerpiece offensive player like Siakam, to acclimate to a new team? Um, I think that I think there uh, you have a lot of uh, high IQ guys. You know, he himself, just watching him play, seems to be a high IQ guy. And and also also with the randomness of the game today, uh, there's not as much play calling, so it's more, more about floor spacing and concepts, which are pretty um, standard throughout the league. Now, the verbiage, terminology, those types of things, that'll, that may take some time. Um, some, some just overall continuity where guys like to have the basketball um, in, in terms of how, the flow of the game and how they play with teammates. Some of that stuff will take some time. Uh, but, but really, I think one of the biggest adjustments will just be terminology, specifically on, on the defensive end of the floor in terms of whether you know showing on pick and rolls, trapping pick and rolls, switching. Uh, what the help side defense looks like, and, and all those types of things. Those, those things will may take some more time and may not see a complete flow until after All-Star break. So Eddie Gill, Pacers Television and Radio Pacers Sacramento, coming up later on tonight. Of course, a game you can hear right here on The Fan. First of yet another Out West back-to-back, and we know the back-to-back Sunday-Monday to Denver, Salt Lake City didn't go well. Sacramento to Portland is what you have coming up later on tonight too um what what do you make of that i I said this back on monday and it was a dumb idea um i I thought that had the pacers started in utah and then gone to denver that you know they played better against denver but i mean denver's the defending champions i thought even though utah was more of the blowout i thought maybe if they would have switched those around, they would have got more of an opportunity to get that win. I, it just looked to me like once they lost in Denver, I mean, you could see it maybe was a quarter, a little bit more of a quarter, and there was a lot of running out of gas, I felt, going on in Salt Lake City on Monday. Yeah, I think the way that was going to be a tough trip, especially you take into account the way the Utah Jazz sure. is playing right now. It's not, it's not the same team that people saw in Indianapolis, um, I don't know, a month or two ago, whatever it was, they were, they were in Indy. It is a very different team. Uh, they're playing with a significant chip on their shoulder. Uh, so they're, they're beating a lot of people like that. Matter of fact, they had the Nuggets in town. They blew them out um, earlier prior to that game against the Pacers. So, um, so that's a very different team than what you saw here. And I, uh, the Pacers at that time, not only down Halliburton, um, were also down – we're down Neesmith and, and Bruce Brown who didn't play in that game either. So that didn't help you. Um, so it would, that, that game would have been tough if you were completely healthy, uh, you were down manpower. So, um, you know, they, they just had to try to get through that one best they can. Uh, that team is playing really good basketball right now. Um, you mentioned Bruce Brown and, you know, just the human aspect element of it and, you know, the moving part. 
but a lot of people have looked at Siakam as a defensive player, just not quite what he once was. And, you know, also looked at Bruce Brown as a guy that you're going to lose that arguably is your best on ball, your best singular defensive player. I, I, I guess I didn't really see that, but those that tell me, okay, I'll look at it. How do you see them being able to make it up defensively? And we'll just start with the loss of a guy like Bruce Brown and not so much offensively, but how do they make that up defensively, Siakam or otherwise on this team? Yeah, I think collectively. Um, and then I also think that Aaron Neesmith, um, you know, would, would have an argument in terms of who's the best overall defender on the team. Uh, I think he's been incredibly um, impactful in, in just one-on-one defense and being able to guard, you know, one through four. I always harken back to, to watching him defend Joel Embiid for half a quarter in, in Philadelphia also. Um, so I think they, they definitely still have guys who can get that done. Andrew Nemhart, I think, is um, all, is right up there with those guys also in terms of one-on-one perimeter defense. Um yeah, maybe Siakam maybe not be may not be the defender that he was, you know, three four years ago. But I think he definitely is still a good defender. Uh, he has more size, he has more length, um, so he can uh, do do a little bit more things just from from that perspective. Uh, provide some additional rebounding as well um, with this team. So I, I don't think uh, you're going to lose too much from a defensive aspect. Uh, you know, when you're talking about those two different players, how much? Um... How much does this raise expectations for you with this trade acquisition of Siakam across the board? Yeah, I think I think it's definitely um, raised expectations. I, I think this is a team now um, that that can can buy not not only get to the playoffs but get there and and be contending and compete at a really high level. Um, not, again, it's not. I think it's gone from hey to get to the playoffs. Now we get to the playoffs and we're going to win and 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 try to shake up the Eastern Conference a little bit for a team that wasn't expected to do as much to start this season. Even prior to the trade, I, I, I really do think that expectations have changed uh, with, with how they were playing. Um, I believe that you know prior to the trade, I want to say six games over 500 or something like that. Um, but you know, on pace um, to win 45 to 50 games, you know, in the season that that definitely puts you in, in a good place. But uh, yeah, I think the expectations have gone to another level. Uh, Pascal Siakam is is an All Star caliber player. Clearly, Tyrese Halliburton is, is that. Miles um, Turner's name's been mentioned in, in those types of conversations as well. And then you have you surround those guys with three point shooting, and they're improving defensively. So all, all signs are pointing towards a team that should contend in the playoffs. Uh, Eddie Gill, who joins us, Pacers TV and radio, Pacers Sacramento. Coming up later on tonight, what's the squad going to look like? We saw Matherin uh, go out of the game. He tried to come back, then he went back out with that injury. Looked like he was practicing yesterday. What's the expectation body-wise they're going to have with this deal and what they have holding over right now in Sacramento? Yeah, I think it'll be better than – than anticipated. You saw, yeah, Matherin was out. Uh, Buddy Heald, I think he had a, a tweak or something during that during that game as well. Um, I don't know if they've released who's who's in or out as of yet, but I think it'll be better than anticipated. You know, at, at the conclusion of that that Utah Jazz game. I, I you know, it, it's got to be tough for Halliburton too. You want to go back and you really want to to show out against you know, the team that traded you. Uh, you're not going to get the opportunity that clearly teammate Buddy Heald's going to have in Sacramento tonight. Yeah, it's always fun to go back and play against a former team, and and I'm sure he was looking forward to this and had it circled on the schedule uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, I'm sure Buddy will be happy to take up a couple more extra shots while Tyrese is not out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, and and I don't know how it, it it looks like to me that it affects certainly more Buddy than it does Halliburton. So, and I know that you know, there's been some things said, and I'll be honest with you, I made kind of light of this a little bit earlier. There wasn't a lot of people paying attention to Sacramento prior to the trade, and you really didn't know. I mean, you, you know Buddy Heald. You knew him from Oklahoma and the college career he had. But, you know, there's very little known. And then, obviously, you know, Tyrese Halliburton shows us exactly what he has in his game. But he didn't seem like the one that had that overwhelming effect 
of being traded from Sacramento as Buddy Heald might. I don't know if Buddy Heald got some negativity going out of the door or what, but that's that's kind of how it felt, I guess. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what what all that was about. I do know what you're saying. There, there was something going on between uh, Buddy Heald and the, whether I don't know fan base team or a combination of the two or something. Uh, he clearly was there a little bit longer than, than Tyrese, and um, yeah, and then also, you know, when that early on those that team wasn't very good, um, and and now they are really good, and, and now they're getting more attention. So, um, but I'm not certain as to what the relationship was between Buddy and and the team. How do you see Isaiah Jackson coming along right here as, as far as his overall game and coming off the bench? It seems like game in and game out, he even more solidifies his spot and a reason to give him more clock. Yeah, I'm, I'm super happy for, for uh, Isaiah Jackson and what he's been able to do. Um, Jalen Smith initially won the, the backup, you know, five spot, and, and now they've kind of transitioned in terms of lineups and, and now, you know, starting big and Isaiah and getting those minutes, but even early on in the season when it, he wasn't anticipated to play and Jalen Smith gets hurt or somebody gets in foul trouble and then his number is called, each and every time that guy has gone out there and responded with, with great energy, activity, they don't call his number, they don't call plays for him, but you look up and next thing you know, he's got 10 points and seven rebounds, three or four block shots, and, and uh, he's making all the right plays. And I, I just really am, am proud of the way he's progressed from a, from a rookie where he was you know two years removed from high school basketball and he is now, um, I believe, in his third year, and just really taking some some steps in a, in a really in a in a great direction. And he's been he's been super helpful every time he steps on the floor. You know, and and I guess it remains to be seen because you know, I mean, who knows? They could do another trade prior to the trade deadline coming up here in February. But you talk about Jalen Smith being installed into the starting lineup. That was worked out a lot better, especially I think defensively for this team. And then you look at Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin has slid right into coming off the bench. And as of late, since that change was made, he's shooting the three at a higher clip, more prevalent in doing that. And and it looks like really from starter to bench, from bench to starter, that thing has kind of fit like a glove with this team since Rick Carlisle made the decision. Yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic. And, that, and that's not hard. To, I mean, that's not easy to do when you have guys mm. who've been starting, they've been expected to start. And then all of a sudden, coach calls you in the office and they need you to come off the bench. Um, that that speaks to the culture that they've all created. You know, the accountability, their encouragement, and and the support that they all have as as a unit to where guys go to the bench um, and respond in in a positive way. And they, you know, they're not pouting or sulking or feeling bad about themselves and or pointing fingers at somebody else. Um, you reference Obi Toppin. He's been incredible coming off the bench. Um, he's, he's been great. I think his first couple games off the bench, he had his highest rebounding totals in, in those games than he, than he did when he was starting. So, um, you know, they've taken the challenge and, and, and channeled some of that frustration in, in the right way. Um, so, yeah, incredibly impressive what he's been able to do. And, uh, and, and Buddy as well, he's starter sometime. He's coming off the bench and um, they just go out there and, and, and do what um, – what Rick asked them to do, and they're doing it at a high level. Hey, in terms to we talked about defensively from an individual standpoint, have we seen this defense, especially since that move, have we seen this defense collectively team-wise improve? I think so. They, they've done a, a really nice job. You had Jalen Smith to start lineup, Aaron Neesmith, uh, prior to his prior to him uh, kind of nursing an injury now. I know he's been out of the lineup here the last couple of games, but you add those type, those guys to the lineup. You add size. You add defensive focus. Uh, you add some rebounding as well. So they've definitely improved over the last I don't know three weeks or so, um, and just want to continue to start tracking in that same direction and, and not have flippage back to you know kind of what we saw early on in the season where you're just trying to outscore people. You know what? I know they have tonight in Sacramento, Portland Friday night, Phoenix to close things out on Sunday. Tuesday should be a hellaciously awesome night at Cambridge Fieldhouse. You've been thinking about that at all with with the chain? We'll see. Well, I, I mean, I, I I got I'm going to fair a guess that Halliburton is back, and this is just me, not you, obviously. But Tuesday, with what has transpired, especially in the past 24 hours, should be a hellaciously interesting night at Cambridge Fieldhouse. Should it not? Oh yeah, it'll be really fun, especially if you you know to your point, if you get keep everybody healthy these next few games and. I, I'm not sure what the game plan is for for Halliburton, but um, you know, with with the, with the trade and and those types of things, and been playing well, 
it really and actually you haven't been there since you know the tail end of the holidays where the the arena was packed just about every night so it'll be really nice momentum uh coming into that homestand as well so it'll be a really good start to that homestand well and it needs to be too because that homestand is ridiculous it, it is always incredibly tough to play in that first home game after a long road trip but to get the defending champions and then philly and then i think Phoenix and, and Memphis, I mean, even without Morant, that's, there, there's nothing right there. There's no gimmies right there. That's difficult as hell. No questions. Yeah, those, those first three games are for sure uh, incredibly tough games, and, and Memphis trying to figure it out with John, without John Morant now. But, uh, yeah, those, those three games at home will, <laughs> are definitely you had your work cut out coming off of a, off of a tough road, street, road trip before you go back out again and, you know, you leave Memphis to go to Boston. So no nights off. <laughs> Well, I will say this. It'll be interesting tonight, but they they definitely on the second of this back-to-back in Portland because that's one of their bad home losses this year. They they need to get a little bit of payback, a little bit of get-back in Portland tomorrow night too. I would agree. But And having said that, though, Portland is never an easy place to play regardless of what yeah. lineup they march out there. You may talk about how young they are, and they're, they're trying to rebuild and figure it out. Uh, Portland is a, is a tough place to play, and, uh, again, it's on the, the second night of the back-to-back. So, Eddie Gill, Pacers Radio, Pacers TV, Pacers Sacramento coming up later on tonight. You can hear that here on 107.5 and 93.5 The Fan. Of course, the former NBA guard on a lot of things, including Pascal Siakam, fit with the team, team presently, Tyrese Halliburton, road trip, and more. I appreciate you, my man, for coming on here. Um, enjoy the time, and yeah, you get set once everything is back to normal here and everything's happening at Cambridge Fieldhouse. That Tuesday night should be a humdinger, man. Be ready for it. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Appreciate you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from the Indianapolis Star, he is the columnist, Greg Doyle, who is joining us today. Hello, Greg. How are you? I am good. I'm good. Do you, they sell that candied bacon at Twin Peaks? Um, I have had it before, and it is excellent. Yes. Yeah, I, I need I need me some of that. You, you're going to mail me some as a being on the show that'll be like i can right? i can yes well you know what and we, we should have just given you a heads up and you could come by and and have some the great place about twin peaks is is i'm sure you know knowing about the bacon is they make everything from scratch here you're not gonna find better food than what you're gonna find they got one here got one down on the south side off of county line road great place to eat for sure i'm aware and i have left the south side i'm now on the north side i've become bougie as I get older, but also oh. I have a, I got a dog and I wanted to get a ground floor apartment and, and we're hoping to buy a home in a couple months and there's all these parks up here. So anyway, I'm bougie, but I'm near Twin Peaks. So next time, bacon's on me. Oh man. So you left us all on the South side. I, I, wow. Listen, the, the dog comes first. I, I, I do everything about the dog, including <laughs> I left a game uh, and came home to take care of my dog and then wrote from home. I was like an hour later than deadline than normal because the dog comes first. And, and my bosses understand the dog, the dog comes first. Well, you know, and I, and I come from, you know, I obviously grew up in southern Indiana with about 40 acres where my mom still lives. And uh, she often just has dogs come up and want to hang out, and she feeds them and then complains about why they're hanging out. So she lives down there on 40 acres. I have four where I live. Uh, down off of uh, the Johnson Morgan County line. So I understand. I, are you getting out with the dog? Or are you still going to stay in town? Oh, oh no, we're we're gonna stay in town. But we we get out. Okay, we get out four or five times a day. But we're we're. We, what do you mean staying in town? I got you. Yeah, I'm more I'm more of a, an uh, an out in the country type of guy uh, as it stands. But I know no, exactly what dog. you're talking about. I've got a city dog. He's very distinguished and very elegant. The only thing missing from my dog, he's a greyhound. The only thing missing is a top hat and a blazer. I mean, he's that's how he looks. He wouldn't he wouldn't be right where you grew up. He he needs to be somewhere in the big city. I'm uh I'm visioning your uh your dog with a top hat, and maybe a monocle looking like Mr. Peanut right there. 
Um, All right. We'll start right here. We'll get to the Pacer stuff in just a second. But your latest column regarding the latest news and TMZ had the report a couple of days ago. And it's something that has floated around uh, around for a while, uh, which goes back to December and the the overdose around December the 8th um, that TMZ reported. Uh, of Jim Irsay, um, with the backing of what a Carmel police report on that visit was about. Um, where do you believe the Colts and Jim Irsay ownership decision-making all should go from here? And again, I should say that all the Colts have said is that right now he's suffering from a severe respiratory situation um, and, and nothing regarding the TMZ report. But you have some pointed stances, I think, that you believe the Colts should take here moving forward uh, regarding decision-making of the team? For sure. And uh, before I say that, I would like to make clear, because it kind of sounds jackal-ish if if I just come out and say what I'm about to say. But I I wasn't sure I was even going to write this thing today. You know, obviously the news broke a couple days ago. And, you know, when you have your job and I've got my job, and in these two jobs we're supposed to talk about, write about, you know, opine about something about news is enormous as Jim, Jim Irsay reportedly need, needing to be revived from an overdose. So that is something we have to get into. But I didn't know what to say about it in print. And did, but anyway, so I sat down and started writing it, thinking it was going to be mainly about empathy and just, you know, I wish him the best. And, and before I know it, I'm saying he's got to, you know, the team's got to get handed off now. And, you know, I oftentimes don't know, or I literally don't know precisely what I think about certain details until I start writing. And that's when I found out. I'll be damned. I, that's what I think. But the guy has – the guy. I love Jim. I shouldn't say the guy. Jim has been in, by his own admission, has been in rehab 15 times, at least 15 times. So this is not, this is not a guy got caught with a DUI and, and did, did the thing people do, and they went, went to rehab, but he's fine. This is a guy that's been fighting a not entirely winning battle with addiction for decades. And, and he's 64, and whatever happened he, – he almost died December 8th. You, look, you read that police report. He was – blue and turning cold and had to be revived. I'm reading all that and there's no way to to escape the fact that he almost died that night. Uh, Enough's enough as far as him running the Colts. It's just not tenable. It's not stable. And furthermore, and I hate to be that guy like condescending, let me tell you what's best for you, Jim Marseille, but I think the world understands that what's best for a recovering addict like this, battling the issues this hard, I don't think he needs to be running an NFL team. He needs to take care of himself. And lastly, pass that thing along to his daughter so we can know once and for all exactly who's going to own this team because otherwise you just never know what happens in probate. So Greg Doyle, his latest to the Indianapolis Star, the columnist regarding Jim Irsay, and there is no doubt he's been down that path a number of times, gone down it again. I will say this, and I'm not going to have you speculate, nor will I speculate on it, but you know, given the fact that you know, even with what the Colts have said, it is alarming the length of time in which most that normally hear from him have not heard from him here. Yeah, he's exactly. He's active. He's active on social media and loves to be part of the community and loves to do what the stuff that he does. And I, that's alarming. I thought it was alarming. You know, Chris Ballard was put in a, you know, in a hard spot because the Colts are clearly trying to guard Jim's privacy as they have the right to do. But Ballard met with the media last week before we knew about this overdose, but it was two days after Ursay had canceled an appearance in L.A. and the Colts put out a statement then saying the respiratory deal. So, so again, Ballard was asked, how is Jim? What do you know? And this is before we knew about the overdose. And Ballard said, uh, he's stable, and we're moving forward from there. Stable is not a word I wanted to hear at that moment. Stable is a word you hear from people who are in, you know, ICU but not trending downwards. Stable is not yeah. not that he's in ICU, but but you could be in ICU and be called stable. Stable is not, as I wrote my story, if that's supposed to be comforting, consider me uncomfortable. I don't like the word stable. I mean, I'm, I, I like it better than grave, but that's not where I thought Jim Irsay was right now. Um, yeah, I, I, alarming was like the best word I could think of just because – you know, from from people that normally hear from him and as outgoing as he normally is, he hasn't been that and and alarming, disturbing, however you want to put it. But I do want to double back to your column and in, in, in what you believe should transpire here moving forward. 
Do you have any reason to believe, let's just say, for example, we're going to have, you know, once again, a, a healthy Jim Irsay. Do you have any, any reason to believe that a plan as such would be implemented? No, no, I, I don't. I just have reason to hope. I have, he's fighting this battle that um, you, you can't say it's losing necessarily because when you lose the battle with addiction, I, I think in, in, in the strongest terms, you're, you're not alive anymore. So he hasn't, he hasn't lost. But it's an uphill battle, and he's, I mean, 15 times in rehab. That's, that's feels like, sounds like a misprint, but he said those words out loud to Andrea Kramer 15 times. So I just, I hope for his sake, but, but for everybody's sake, I, I really, I know that, that probate can be brutal on professional sports franchises. You just Google the words uh, NFL, NBA, MLB, succession plan. Just Google that and find out how difficult it is to pass these t- things along, especially when you have multiple kids, not that the Ursa girls are, would be fighting over it, but you have multiple kids. He's been divorced. As far as I know, he's dating a woman right now. I don't really know beyond that. You just don't know who wants what. Like when, and this, Heck, when Ursa, when his own dad died about 25, 30 years ago, he had to go to court with his stepmother because they couldn't agree on who should own the team. And you'd think Robert Ursa, you'd think, would have had a pretty ironclad will explaining exactly what's going to happen to that team. Well, apparently not, because Jim had to win it in court. We just don't need any of that. And Jim has just demonstrated on December 8th, he is one bad decision away from being blue and cold and needing to be resuscitated. That is not sustainable. You know, we we need to know who owns this team, not today, but who's going to own this team in five years, 10 years, 15 years, because Jim's lifestyle doesn't suggest he's going to be around that long. And I, I hate saying that. But just because something is true and ugly doesn't mean I'm not going to say it. His uh, column is regarding Jim Mercer, Greg Doyle from the Indianapolis Stars with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, sharing his thoughts on what should now be the path regarding the decision-making ownership-wise for the Colts with what we know to be the latest regarding Jim Mercer. I would ask you this, too, and this is something I don't know how much, you know, I've talked about. I don't know how much you've discussed with others, but, is there a point in time, especially after this report this week, will the NFL step in with, with any regard to the latest information from TMZ? Well, trying to guess with Roger Goodell is, you know, it's just impossible. Who, who knows? Sure. He, he, he goes not far enough on some things, and he goes way too far on other things, and who knows? He's a weather vane. He'll, he'll wet his finger, stick it up in the air, and see what people are saying, and, and then he'll make a decision then. Robert, Roger Goodell is the most – morally weak $50 million a year guy I've ever seen. So I'm not impressed with Roger Goodell. However, as, as I kind of wrote, he shouldn't, but he, but I wrote more strongly than that. He better not do anything to take the team away from, from Ursay because of this. You know, 10 years ago when he suspended Ursay for six games, Ursay was, you know, pled guilty to a misdemeanor, you know, DUI. I mean, people put people at risk, and that was a personal conduct policy. And granted, overdosing on whatever he allegedly reportedly the Carmel police think he overdosed on December 8th, that's not exactly great conduct. But that was in the privacy of his own home. Nobody got hurt except for him. Anyway, I just don't think it's right. I don't think you, don't, I don't think you take the team from him or force him, to ha- force him to pass it on to his daughters like that. I, and I don't, think, I don't think Goodell would do it. But again, Goodell is, he is morally, he, he's an invertebrate. He, he doesn't. He doesn't think like a human being. He thinks like a robot who just wonders what a human being would do in this case. He's going to take his best guess at what a human being would do, and then he'll do it. Whether it's human or not, only he knows. Uh, so Greg Doyle is with us. There is a lot of unknown, and I, I don't have, honestly, um, yeah, I, I don't have any thought regarding addiction. I've never been around anybody directly that has you know, suffered Unfortunately, from, you know, what is that monster of of addiction? But I, I mean, is, is there not any because is it too enabling because he's Jim Ursay and, and those around him? I mean, what 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 is and again, hopefully he is OK and hopefully he, he comes back and he is healthy once again. What should be the steps taken? Let's just say, for example, you know, they don't transfer the power, the decision making. What should be the steps just to hope? that he maintains a level of good health because ultimately, Greg, that's what we all want. Oh, absolutely. Could we, you know, Jim Irsay right now is probably a punchline. I didn't 
I didn't go looking. I don't want to see it. I don't, I don't really yeah. look at Twitter the way most people do anymore, so I don't really know that stuff. But I, I know society. I know what happened to Zach Eady the other night. I know what's happening to Xavier Johnson online right now. I know what people do. So I'm sure, Jim say people are enjoying the fact that he's got a disease and fell. You wouldn't enjoy someone having cancer, but they're enjoying his addiction and, and screw them all. Uh, and so I, I, mean, I really like Jim. I don't know him that well, but I really, really like him. And he's so vulnerable and fragile, but honest. And he sent me a, a song he wrote, and I've been asking him to begging him to let me put this in, in the paper someday. He sent me a song he wrote about a friend of his, and and what I'm about to say is is sounds impossible, but it's true. And I've thought this for two years since I saw this. The song he wrote is almost, and almost is really impressive, almost as good as Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. I mean, the, the lyrics, the words, the poem he wrote about his friend and set it to music is so good it blew my mind so the guy's got so much to give and i care about him so I, I say all that to almost apologize for saying this he can't he doesn't drive himself he doesn't go out on his own if he's getting his hands on whatever he's getting his hands on and again the Carmel police are calling it an overdose they gave narcan to revive him so do i know he overdosed on drugs no but Carmel police think he did i trust that they know what they're talking about there's no way for him to get his hands on that stuff unless it comes to him or, and yeah, well, it has to come to him, right? Whether it's one of his coworkers taking care of him or whether it's some shadow guy outside, I don't know. But the point is he can't just get away from people and in privacy, go get something. You can, he's never alone like that. So I'm angry. Didn't even think I was going to be angry until you asked me that question. I'm angry that he was able to get his hands on something like that because he's not mobile like you and me. And the fact that it happened is shameful. And so you're asking me what should happen. What should happen is the people around him need to look at the people around him, starting with everybody, and try to figure out how to get his hands on this. And if he's been to rehab 15 times, how does it keep happening? And make some changes or add some people or subtract some people or something. Because, as I say, this is not sustainable. It's not tenable. It's not fair. Addiction is not... You know, I, I think the world's view on it, not everybody because people come around when they come around, but addiction is not a sign of weakness. It's not a choice you make. It's a disease. And the thing about it is that a lot of us, and I say us because it, it could be me too, I don't know, a lot of us have this inside us, and unless we stumble across the wrong trigger, we never find out. So you talk about there, but for the grace of God or whatever, you know, cliche you want to use, that could be any of us. And it breaks my heart that Jim's got to fight this so hard. But it pisses me off that he's not getting enough help. So if you're listening to this, Colts people, hangers-on, security detail, front office people, wake the hell up and take care of Jim Irsay because a lot of people count on that guy. So Greg Doyle of the Star, this guy's latest column regarding Jim Irsay and well, we found out a couple of days ago in that report from TNZ that uh, they obtained the police report from the Carmel Police Department going back to December the 8th on uh, what they described as an overdose for Colts owner Jim Irsay on that date. And we should also mention that um, I, I didn't see him on that day, that Steeler game on December the 16th, but uh, there were pictures taken in the locker room celebration after that game. Uh, we saw him then and then ultimately have not seen or really heard from him since do you, do you have anything as far as i know the colts came out with you know that that release a couple of different times now as far as the uh, respiratory issue that he's having right now uh, any news regarding that whatsoever no and i've tried and a lot of us have tried you 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 referenced earlier that i, I forget how you said it but you said things have been swirling is that what you said about mm -hmm. whatever happened december 8th yeah kind of yeah because i think all of us um, I, I don't often, and even though I can, because I can just fly stuff around if I want to here, there are some stuff, especially of when it's that personal, um, without any, you know, without any concrete evidence to go go with. But there's there's been I know that you've you've heard a lot of people that go to the Colts game certainly have heard stuff that is going on, and then TMZ yeah. got the report. I think that's what I was referencing, too, going, yeah, going yeah. back oh, no, to right. middle of December. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. That it, it was swirling. Yeah. And, and I've been hearing about this for 
over a month and and but just like you you know you hear crazy stuff all the time and you hope it's not true and and i i've tried i've got um you know we all have people that we know with these of these teams and i've got i've got two folks that well i got more than two but i've got two that i that i kind of like a lot and that they like me i think a lot as as human beings you know and i don't really go to them for news or sort or stuff like that but you know i'm talking about you know big names and and I asked them both apologetically, you know, I'm so sorry. I, I don't want this to be true, but if this is true, it's the biggest story in, in the state right now is, is, and I asked, you know, here's what I'm hearing. Is, is this true? And was never told no, but that doesn't mean anything, you know, was, was just told we will never answer questions about Jim or say his health is too, is too personal, it's too private. And I get that. And the reason why, in case anybody's wondering, I will tell you a story. Why? Well, if someone says, you know, if they don't deny it, doesn't that mean it's true? Well, that was me in 1997 covering the Marlins. Uh, Dave Dombrowski is the GM, and I and I'd heard about a trade they were going to make or had made. I go up to him and, and tell, tell him about it, and I forget what it was. And he says, I'm not going to comment on that. And I said, I'm 27 years old at the time and don't know what I don't know and stupid. And I say, well, if you won't deny it, then I'm going to assume it's true. And I meant it. And he said, he goes, Greg, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to do this one time, one time only. It's not true, he said. But if I only tell you no, uh, if I only, if I were to say, if I only deny it when it's not true, then yes, you would be able to read my mind. You would know, oh, he's denying it. it's not true. So even if it's true, I'm going to say no comment. I'm never going to comment. So the, the fact that the Colts wouldn't confirm or deny his condition yeah. a month ago didn't mean anything. I mean, in hindsight, we know now. There was an issue there, but you can't just hear the no comment and go, ah, it's true. It's, you can't do that. Yeah, I, and I, I mean, I, I had just just basically my stance is on this. I, I, that's all that you're going to be able to go on with that first release and then the next one um, until, hell, I don't know when, to be honest. Well, <laughs> I mean, it, they're going to stand on that for a while, so – yeah, and, and you know this, the thing. What I, I, I'm going to combine the two things that we're talking about now. What I got mad about earlier, the circle yeah. around him is so small. You know, it's one thing I say about Area 54. I think it's called Area 54 in, in Albuquerque. Is that right? Area 51, yeah. whatever it is. 51, 51. Yeah, we're UFOs. Yeah. Yeah, Studio 54, Area 51. I, <laughs> my thought on that is there's no way it's true because that that is the that is literally the biggest secret in world history. And if that's true, it's been going on for 70 years, and no one's ever come out of there with a picture. No one, you know, we've heard rumors, but no one's ever proven it. It's true. Then I don't believe it's true because you can't keep that secret for 70 years. Well, Ursay's health, you know, if the circle was bigger than three or four people, you can't keep that secret. You just can't do it. My point here is that the circle on Ursay is very, very small. How is he getting his hands? And I'm not accusing him, but I'm, I'm talking about negligence, really. But how is this happening? You know, his circle is that small. How is this happening? Why does this keep happening? If I'm his daughters, I'm I'm hiring a cop or a former cop, and I know they've got one that is security and he's great. He scares the hell out of me, but he's great. But I'm hiring somebody to investigate. How is this happening? Treat this as a crime. You know, my, my our, our father got his hands on something according to Carmel Police that almost killed him. Treat this as a crime and go find who did that. Find who made who let that happen because his circle is so small. We can keep secrets so great, and yet we can't keep this out of his hand, out of out of his, you know our, our dad's hands. That that something's wrong here. So Greg Doyle has the column uh, regarding the uh, future leadership of the Colts and Jim Irsay, and we've been talking about that. Very pointed comments, very well thought out comments from the star columnist with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, I, I'm, I've been really hesitant to ask what you think the outcome is going to be because I don't know if I really want to know the outcome. I'm not trying to sound overly dramatic whatsoever. I, I just, I, I don't know if I really want to know what you think the outcome is. You know what I mean? Because I think I'm in a negative spot right now. I think where a lot of people are regarding this and you're right. He is an incredibly nice guy an incredibly thoughtful guy. And you don't want to see him go out like this from any angle. But especially with the worst case scenario, I, I guess that's where I am right now with it all, well, because there's been so much not said. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and no transparency where I, I honestly I sit here and I fear the worst, Greg. I do. 
Well, as as kind of well you should, and uh, using Jim's own calculations and mathematics and whatnot, his numbers, he told Andrew Kramer uh, last month, whenever that was, two months ago, that he's already been revived once. That the doctor even said, "You're a lucky man because I was just about to write your death certificate," and that was November 21st. That was literally two weeks before it almost happened in Carmel. So we now know for a fact he's had to be revived so that he wouldn't die of the first one was an overdose. He said that to Kramer. The second one, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to avoid being sued, but the Carmel police say it was an overdose or believe it was. So if we're going to take, if we're going to take that seriously, then he's had two overdoses where he's had to be revived or he's not here anymore. He's been to rehab in his own words, at least. And he said, at least 15 times. So you're asking me, you're asking anybody, how is this going to end? They've got to make some changes because, you know, it's Einstein's insanity. What they're doing is not – it's not working. Colts, it's not working. What you're doing, it's not working. And, you know, the Indy Star, when Riffra happened nine years ago, we had a headline, fix this now. And it was in all caps because you kind of yell it. And, hey, Colts, fix this now because it's not working. So, Greg Doyle with us. You know, the thing I, I think about going back to that Andrea Kramer spot – on Real Sports on HBO was, again, we lost, and I, I said that at the time, we lost all sense of what should have been the most important message. The moment he, you know, brought up, you know, I'm a targeted, you know, rich white billionaire or whatever, that we lost all sense of what really mattered and the point they were trying to make in that particular interview. Does that make sense? I mean, we really lost it. That's, that's, that was really unfortunate at the time to me. It, it, you, you, I mean, I hadn't thought about it that way, but, but you're right. But that's what the world does. The world doesn't care. Yeah. And I mean, I it's like that line in, in Men in Black with uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. Will Smith says to Tommy Lee Jones, why don't, why don't you tell us about these aliens? People can handle it. And, Will, and Tommy Lee Jones goes, no, no, no. A person can handle it. A person is smart. People are dumb, stupid animals, and you know it. That's what he says. And that's true. And people is, what, is the way I would refer to social media. That's people. That's not a person. That is in general where the loudest noise is the one that gets heard. Those are people, and they're dumb, stupid animals, and we all know it. So they, they don't latch on to something nuanced. Believe me, I've spent nine years here and t- 25 years elsewhere writing things where there's nuance in there, and no one gets it because they don't want to get it because they'd rather focus on the five words that were really, really you know strong. So – they don't. They don't want to hear about his addictions and what he was going through and, and the, the bad shape. Including me, John. Including me. I, I. I didn't focus too much on the, on the white billionaire thing, only because yeah. I know that Jim has put so many hard miles on those tires that I just. And he says so many things that I just don't. I don't get bent out of shape or excited or whatever about Ursay when he talks because he just. That's Jim. You know. He just. Who knows what he means? Who knows. But yeah, so all, I, yeah, you're right. We we missed the warning signs because we, we we got distracted by the shiny object over here, which was stupid. Yeah, and that's you know that's a pitfall for what I do and and how I because I, I that's the that's the first thing and I said at the time this is the first thing I'm going to go to, and it's absolutely positively wrong that it's the first thing that I go to and I did and uh, uh, about a month later I regret it. There's just no really easy way to transition from that to this, but I will in closing. Greg Doyle of the Star joins us. Um, Pacers made that deal for Pascal Siakam. How do you place them now just eyeballing a starting lineup in this team compared to the rest of the landscape of the Eastern Conference? I I would feel comfortable putting them ahead of everybody but Milwaukee, Boston, and Philadelphia. And if I'm leaving somebody out, I'm leaving somebody out. But I feel very comfortable thinking they could be the fourth best team in the league. They've got ground to make up. It doesn't mean they're going to be a top four seed and get a home, a home playoff series advantage because you know the season's halfway over and they're in, they're in eighth or seventh right now, seventh I guess. But I feel very comfortable saying they could be a top four team in the East. I mean, Pascal Siakam's no no friggin' joke. They the Pacers have been trying for ten years to get a guy like Pascal Siakam uh, to join somebody else. You know, they get a guy like Old Depot, but they had, but that was after they lost their guy, Paul George. And they get a guy like Hal Burton, but that's after they lost their guy, Lodipo. They've never had a guy and then gotten another one. This has never happened before. As good as Miles Turner you know, is at times, as good as Demonis Sabonis has turned out to be at Sacramento, that wasn't happening you know, here. He wasn't little mini Jokic here. He wasn't Mr. Triple Double. I mean, he was good here. He was very good. So 
that was close. But they've never had two perimeter guys like this. So this is very, very exciting. The 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 uh, timeline has been so accelerated, and they're just one guy away now from being right there with Philadelphia and Milwaukee. You know, Boston's starting lineup is a little bit too good, but they're just one more great guy away from it. And I'm calling Siakam great. And Matherin could be that guy. Matherin could be that great guy. And Jairus Walker, who I – his Pacers moments don't make him look like he's going to be that guy. But his G League stats say he could be that guy too. And he's too young, and Toronto wanted him. So people see something in him. So they, they're one really good guy away from being a legit top two, three, four team going forward. It's very, very exciting. I'm so impressed with Kevin Pritchard. He's so good. He's so underrated. I think we know how good he is in this market. But around the league, you look at the Pacers, and they're always finishing eighth or worse. And you just don't know. You just don't know. You know, it, it, Benching 185 for a guy that weighs 120 is a lot more impressive than benching 185 when you weigh 250, right? And Ken Pritchard's not a 125-pound weakling, not my point. My point is, for him benching 185, that's a lot more impressive than the Lakers guy. Rob Palenka, you're not that strong. You're, 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 you're a 98-pound weakling, Rob Palenka. Pritchard could kick your rear end. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I said this, and I, I don't know if I'm trying to be overdramatic or what. I, I think we're on the verge of another one of those. I, I call it a golden era, for lack of any, any better way to describe it. You know, kind of on the verge of this right now as we saw what the Pacers did in the 1990s. I feel so secure with the elite-level player, the centerpiece in place. And I think it's going to be even more expedited than it was in the 90s because I think now we're in an era where players want to play certainly with other players. And I think a lot of these guys, much like Siakam, want to come here in some form or fashion and play where they're best going to be utilized. And that's Tyrese Halliburton and this team. I, I think we're going in an incredible direction right now with this, with this franchise, this organization, and this team. Yes, and let me say this. I referenced this in my story I wrote about Siakam yesterday. That you know, you know he he wants to be here. People are wondering, does he want to be here? And I know his agent said something referencing that he wants to be here. I, I I've heard for I've heard for weeks that they want Siakam and he wants to be here. Um, frankly, I've heard it at a level that I guess we could have reported it, but I just I'm not about reporting. Here's what could happen. I'm I'm just not doing it. But Siakam wants to be here. Okay, who's reporting that? I am. I just did. Siakam wants to be here, so he's going to be here. So what I wrote, though, is that he thinks he wants to be here. He doesn't know. He hasn't been here yet. He thinks he wants to be here. He's going to spend some time with with, with uh, Halliburton, spend some time in that locker room, spend some time with Carlisle, Jenny Buchik, and the rest of that great staff. He's going to see how this city loves 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 pro players like their college kids. And then the, the All-Star game is coming here in about three weeks. People think this is yeah. a good basketball team. Wait till that happens. People think they want to play with Halliburton. Wait till people come to town and see how, how that happens. It's going to be – the golden area you're talking about is just about to get a booster shot from the All-Star game being in town here because we're about to show off without even trying to show off. Yeah, yeah. I, the, there's no doubt they're prepared, and then you're right. I mean, it has a profound effect on, on every level here with that, and I completely agree with it. Greg Doyle of The Star, his latest column regarding Jim Irsay, uh, it is something you need to read right now, uh, IndyStar.com. You can go there. Greg Doyle regarding uh, Pascal Siakam and that trade. He agrees with me on that as well. Find all his work at the Indy Star. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts today. I know it's uh, for everybody around here um, in the market, a very difficult subject, but I appreciate you sharing what you're sharing and your latest column with us today, Greg. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll be brief when I say goodbye because I know I talk long, but I want to say goodbye by saying I appreciate you having me on because I know what Jim means to you, and you don't need my help, and, and you have a lot of people that could talk about Jim. So the fact that you have me on – you know, you didn't have me on to talk about IU. You had me on to talk about something near and dear to your heart. It means a lot. Thanks, John. Thank you. I appreciate that, Greg. Thank you very much. Greg Doyle, the star on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.